If you are like me and know that free enterprise is the greatest opportunity in the world, but you also see there are huge issues starting to arise, like why is mentorship decreasing in popularity? Why do entrepreneurs like us who love to succeed see people fail at the top and never leave true significance? And how do people like us make a lasting impact on the world? And is it possible for enough entrepreneurial leaders together to make a real difference? These are the blaring questions, and this podcast is the answer. Journey with me, your host, Christian. Together, we will challenge the status quo and conquer our legacies. Welcome. This is Christian D. Evans with Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Ladies and gentlemen, we have an incredible guest today. Uh, just very exciting. He's all the way in Hawaii and we're here all the way over in the Eastern coast. And so we're just excited to be able to network with him, talk to him. Uh, we've uh, took a quite a while just to be able to work with him, jumping him, uh, his, his knowledge, his expertise and bringing him on. I just want to share with you real quick. He's been an ex-civil engineer who invests passively in real estate from Honolulu, okay, Hawaii. I, uh, he used to be in a big bad private company as a construction engineer but after some saving and investing he found happiness and balance at a lower paying job his journal his experience in simple passive cash flow podcast which you, you can actually find that link right below here as well and he put it on itunes google play all sorts of different places and his parents got screwed with his 401k and stock market and it's his mission now to get everyone on the corrupt, get, get, get them out of the corrupt Wall Street roller coaster and into Main Street, invest with safer, high returns that benefit the middle class of America with his uh, real estate empire. So very excited to be working with you, Lane. Uh, welcome. How you doing, man? Hey, thanks for having me, Christian. Aloha, everybody. Good. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, man. Well, I just want to dive, dive into a little bit. I know that was just a, a preliminary. Uh, you've been able to build an incredible real estate empire and obviously where Simple Passive cash flow is going now right now. Uh, so go ahead, just tell our audience a little bit about you and kind of what that what that future looks like for you, man. Yeah. So today, I think I own like around 6,000 plus rental units. Um, we put together large apartment syndications for people to come alongside us and partake. But um and it didn't always start out like that, right? Like I bought my first rental in 2009 when I was still working my day job up to that point. Always taught to go to school, study hard, you know, be a good little kid and, uh, you know, follow that, what I call the linear path that a lot of high paid professionals go down. Um, I started to realize that, you know, like um, buying your house to live in, investing in the retirement funds, which mutual funds, 401k, just didn't work once I started to invest in real estate and got that taste of cash flow. Definitely, definitely. And so let me ask you, you know, because obviously, you know, to be able to acquire 6,000 units and be able to do what you're doing now, obviously it comes, like you said, with some ups and downs. Uh, now there's tons of different strategies in the real estate market. So what was your niche? What was the thing that you focused on? Was it wholesaling? Was it flips? Was it focusing on buy and holds? Or I'm curious, what, 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 are the, what was that strategy for you, Lane? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think when most people think of real estate investing, they think of like the HGTV, house flippers, wholesaling properties. Um, it's been buy and hold passive real estate from the beginning. Um, just boring, buying properties that cash flow. Um, and this was because I had my full-time day job. And, you know, this is the kind of the people I work with, people who make a professional um, salary or they already have a bunch of money already. And now they they just need to put it into something that grows for them. And, you know, the, the big thing is about taxes too, right? It's not really about what you make. It's what you keep at the end of the day. So, 
you know, like the, the biggest thing for us is like investing in the right areas and investing in the right properties so that we cash flow with this wrong 1% rent to value ratio threshold. So you take the monthly rent divided by the purchase price, it needs to be 1% for us to safely cash flow on a month to month basis. Definitely. So let's dive into that a little bit more because I'm always intrigued, you know, obviously what is a good property? What is a good, you know, cash flowing investment? I've heard some people that say, Hey, I have to be netting almost 250 outside of taxes and mortgage and on expenses. 250 is what I want to be cash flowing. Some people have a different rule and different regulations. So I'm just curious what to you and when, when you're looking at your team and analyzing a property, what are some things that say, okay, this is really good. And as well as do you mainly do another question? Do you do mortgage or, or do you do creative finance? And what does that strategy look like? Like well. Yeah, I mean, we don't do creative financing or anything like that, right? Because we got money. We're just doing our boring agency financing, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac debt. Um, and, you know, this is real estate investing. If you don't have money to invest, you don't have money at least for the down payment. You can't real estate invest, bro. You know, you, you got a money problem. And that's where all the house, the house flipping, HGTV stuff, the wholesaling stuff comes into play. You know, we're perf- more working professionals we have high salaries we have some money um we're doing this in a very different way a more boring way um a way that maybe 95 99 percent of people can't do it where hey we already have the money for the down payments to do this stuff so you know what are good rental properties um i bought my first rental properties in seattle washington and what i realized is sophisticated investors don't really buy at these high price sexy markets we call primary markets like california hawaii new york boston miami seattle portland the reason being is there's the numbers don't support the investment we don't have that one percent rent to value ratio out there um i mean take california i mean you you'd be lucky to find a place in the ghetto for 400 grand that rents for two thousand dollars a month and then 2000 divided by 400 grand is half a percent. That's no one, that's not going to work. So, you know, that's, I later bought properties in Birmingham, Atlanta, and Indianapolis, traded, traded the Seattle properties. And we primarily look for B class, C class properties. So, not your high end luxury stuff because you're not going to find the rent to value ratios um, in those areas and not the super low end, not the war zone class F, class D properties, kind of in the middle, right? We work for work with workforce housing. So this is kind of the, the majority of lower middle class America. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. Okay. So like one of your rules is like that 1%. Okay. That makes perfect sense. Obviously B to C is kind of, uh, is that what you said? B to C kind of properties, not nothing too crazy right there in the mid where a lot of people overlook it. And then what other kind of rules do you have that says, okay, you know what, this is, this is very cash flow, uh, you know, kind of, uh, a good property in your sense. Yeah. I mean, we don't go after niches, right? Some people go after like student housing, um, military towns or like near like pool, um, tourist attractions. I don't, we don't invest off gimmicks. We invest off of like sound financials. And I mean, workforce housing is the huge elephant in the room. Right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's what's going to be here for a long, long time. I mean, it's, that's what we invest off of. Um, yeah. And then, you, you know, do what, a lot of, 
do you do a lot of like research and regarding that area and the appreciation? And you know, I know like Texas, for example, and I know some places I lived in Ohio, they're obviously depreciating. They're just the, the value of the house isn't, isn't producing. I'm just curious, like, do you do a lot of research as well? Does that kind of come into play with, Hey, is this a good property investing? Is this a good area? Or is it mostly just, Hey, is it cash flowing? And is it, is the rent at 96% or 97%, um, you know, renter? Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm sure we've done the research on it, but you know, this is why we like real estate because it's not rocket science. <laughs> it's basically, I mean, it's two things. It's economic growth and population growth that you're looking for. And how do you define economic growth? Well, I don't really know. Right. I mean, there's different metrics out there, but you know, if, the, if you're looking for like that one, one stop, it's population growth. And, you know, they just released the 2020 census. So one could just Google this stuff super easily. And you're looking for certain cities, certain sub-markets, which ones are growing uh, better than others. And I mean, that's what that's what drives demand for real estate, right? It's just mm -hmm. pure population, especially for workforce housing. So we kind of look for areas where they're typically going up. And this typically mimics, we also want to stay in landlord-friendly states. So, mm -hmm. I mean, not to say anything politically, but like when I'm the landlord, I want to be in a red state you know, with landlord friendly laws. And typically the red states are, you know, better economically driven too. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah. that kind of leaves us to, you know, the probably the best places to invest just on a state perspective is Arizona, the whole state of Texas, um, mm -hmm. Alabama, Georgia, Florida, the Carolinas, you know, you, you take those five, six states, they're going to beat the other 45, 46 states out of the nation any day. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Awesome. Well, and that's a, that's a very interesting point because uh, whenever we look at real estate, I also do the same thing. And whether it be consciously or subconsciously, it just seems like the, the better deals are out there because you could just work uh, with the legality and things like that as well uh, if you run into problem. Now, let me ask you uh, kind of like, do you focus on uh, – uh, you know, certain different deals as well, like fourplex, sixplex, eightplex, or you're talking to, you know, 100, 200, 300 units um, kind of properties. Yeah. I mean, today, you know, we focus on large apartments over mm -hmm. 150, 200 units. Um, you know, we, we found that once we go over 50 to 100 units, we can have a full-time property manager at the property at all times. But really what we like is when we get around 100, 150 units plus, now we can have that you know, the handyman to kind of knock out work orders, plumbing repairs without having to pay ridiculous third-party charges, you know, mm -hmm. and then have some guys HVAC trained on staff. Um, and you know what we do is you know we'll, we'll put together passive investors and buy, buy a large apartment complex, and what we'll do is we'll stay below the large guys, the institutions, the institutions that are just investing lazy retirement money. They don't need to make a great yield because their investors aren't very sophisticated. So, you know, these guys will want to buy you know, packs of properties, right? Or, or mm -hmm. 500, 600, or 1,000 properties plus. So these guys will typically play in the $100 million range. And where we want to stay is right below them. Like I said, 100 to 400 units is kind of where we like to stay. But we okay. want to stay above the mom and pop investor. And the mom and pop investor buys single family homes, duplex, triplexes, quads, maybe a 40 unit here, there, or maybe an 80 unit sometimes when they get bigger. But, you know, in this kind of lower rung, it's just it's, things are very expensive, very, very expensive. So we want to rise up and get above that. So there's a nice little void for us, again, between the 100 and 300 unit. 
that's not really practical for people listening, right? And, you know, part of my website is kind of to teach people how to buy their first rental property because that's quite honestly the heart, the hardest part of this whole thing. You know, we've mm-hmm. created systems and teams that kind of take care of it a lot easier and a lot more robustly than when I was starting out just buying rental properties. That's what I would suggest people do. Definitely. Well, it's interesting that you bring that point up because see, a lot of our audience, they have, you know, they, they make, uh, you know, 12, 14, $20,000 a month and they do very well. They have a high ticket item. They do coaching, consulting, service provider, whatever it may be. And, uh, you know, or maybe even e-commerce. And so they make a lot of money in cash flow. but I do know real estate has incredible tax advantages. Now I know you're not a lawyer, right? And so obviously disclosure there, however, though you are a businessman and you've obviously leveraged real estate to the highest capacity. So I'm just intrigued with some of our audience that has, you know, uh, they're making one hundred, two hundred, four hundred thousand dollars, uh, you know, and they got some cash just sitting in the bank. Um, what have you found is is very successful in regarding to you know tax advantages for real estate for those that don't are not familiar with how to leverage that and and kind of hide the money, if you will, in real estate. Yeah, I mean, like the younger guys, guys under a million dollars net worth, you know, I would say go buy some rental properties, get learn the business a little bit, you know, don't do any house flipping. For sure, you know that's that's for broke guys. But if, you know, if you're an, already an accredited investor, I would just skip right to syndication, passive investing in large private placements. Um, it's a lot of it is just investing with the right people, understanding the deals. You know, what what does the deal look like from the outside? You know, what does the black box look from the outside from a passive investor's perspective? Uh, this is where I realized around 2015 when I had 11 rental properties that. You know, they're just not scalable, right? Nobody, nobody really owns a lot of rental properties who's smart, right? You transition to private placements and syndications. And when I started to join different masterminds that got around other high net worth investors, it was more about, you know, getting rid of your rental properties, which are high liability, kind of a pain in the ass. Um, you've got all the debt in your personal name, and especially for hard for business owners, right? You're trying to get more debt. You don't want debt bugging you down in your rentals. You want to outsource the debt, go in as a passive investor where somebody manages your investment for you and has, takes the debt out, out of your name and you're just an OP passive investor, not a managing member. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of what my podcasts have kind of been that journey, right? My own journey from buying some rentals to accredited status and beyond. But you know, the, one of the big reasons for doing that is the taxes, right? Like when you own little rental properties, and you probably write off the property 127th of the property value over 27 years, which is cool. But when you're in larger deals that have the scalability to go get what's called a cost segregation, which basically breaks down all the components and gives the CPA a big stack of papers to aggressively write off your investment a lot faster. I mean, in some of these deals, um, you're able to write off a third of the building value in the first year. So you're talking like, multiple six figures of losses, paper losses your first year, which you, can, which you call passive activity losses. Now you can use that to offset your passive income from other investments or the real estate that you got. But you know, this is where we'll strategize with clients. You know, like a lot of the doctors or high paid income earners, you may be able to use those passive losses, which you, I mean, my first few years, I had maybe half a million plus of passive losses suspended, not used yet to offset my ordinary income. So you know, like, think about like a doctor making a million dollars a year, you know, we want to drive up down as close to the $300,000, $400,000 mark because when you go above there, as you know, we're all seeing Biden's going to go chop heads that are higher than 400 grand. You know, who cares? Just 
get your head down, right? Get your use your passive losses to lower your taxes using a strategy called real estate professional status. A lot of groups that jump through, but there are other things out there too, like land conservation easements. Um, another way of lowering your your just gross income. It's not about low. It's not about paying less taxes. It's about lowering your income, your just gross income, to pay less taxes. Mm -hmm. That makes perfect sense. And I think that's really interesting that you mentioned that as well regarding you don't individually, the, the most successful, the ones that don't individually own every single unit, but they're the ones that obviously are syndication and partnerships and stuff like that. And so if you could tell me a little bit more about kind of your story behind obviously going from, you know, obviously you own 6,000 units, but that's through partnerships and stuff like that. But going from that for, you know, 2015, owning 11 properties to boom, all of a sudden where you're at now owning 6,000 units and having that higher exponential kind of mindset. Yeah, I mean, you know, going back, 11 rental properties, five in Atlanta, four in Birmingham, I think one in Indy and one in Pennsylvania. Uh, it's cool, right? Like, you know, each property gave me a few hundred bucks of cash flow after all expenses, vacancy, capex, uh, you know, a few thousand bucks. I was still working my day job as an engineer, but, um, you know, that was kind of like a third paycheck for a single guy back then. It was, it was good, but you know, just to give people some insight, what's it take to be a, a landlord in that situation? And even if I have, you know, I have property property management, right? Like I don't do this stuff myself. I don't know how to do an eviction. I don't know how to change a toilet. You know, that's, that's for landlords. Um, I'm an investor. You know, we always say, stop being the landlord, be the investor. Mm. But, you know, with 11 rentals, maybe I had an eviction every six months. And I had maybe some kind of big catastrophe that happened every quarter, like a tree fall out on the house or some kind of flood in the basement or something like that. And I quickly realized, I mean, on that scale, it's fine, right? But like if I, most of my clients, they want 10,000 plus of passive income, right? For starters. Mm -hmm. So I would need 30 rental properties. I'm like, shoot, well, you got to multiply that exception rate by three. So now you're talking about an eviction every other month, some kind of big issue every other week, it just becomes unscalable. And that was about the time where I kind of found a different tribe. And, you know, as business owners, you do a lot of networking. Your network is your net worth. And I found my tribe within the investing community. And this is where I saw people who had transitioned over from direct ownership, which got them there, right? Like it got me from zero to half a million, million dollars net worth. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't the, the the ship that was going to take me to financial freedom. Financial freedom was going to be, the, yeah, still investing in real estate, but the taxes, the legal, um, another strategy will employ is infinite banking. The strategy that the wealthy do, and I started to realize that all the stuff that I was learning from, you know, just individuals was very simple and easy, but it's very opposite than what my parents taught me, what like mm -hmm. coworkers were doing, right? Like, I was like, who does this stuff? I mean, but I was kind of slowly changing over what I was personally doing, um, selling my house that I lived in because you know this doesn't make any sense to own your own house. Getting rid of my retirement accounts makes no sense to have retirement accounts, in my opinion. I'd rather pay my taxes today and get it out of that stupid system and invest in good investments. Um, you know, everything was kind of backwards, right? And you know, going back, like, look, I'm not a CPA, I'm not a lawyer, right? But I've gotten myself financially free and I've helped a lot of clients do it this way too. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes asking those people, probably the wrong people, right? They're still stuck in a job. They still haven't figured out this stuff. Yeah.
So let me ask you a little bit more in, in regarding that story. And I really appreciate you sharing that. But let's take a step back in, in, in the 11 units. Okay, so you had 11 units all over. You were doing property management. Did you have to step back a little bit and, and, and sell some of those, uh, decrease your net, 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 uh, net uh, worth to be able to go and jump into that bigger arena where you obviously were able to do you know, more strategic partnerships and, uh, and things like that? Yeah, I mean, as a as a passive investor, a lot of times the minimums are like fifty, a hundred thousand bucks um, to kind of jump on board. I had some cash. I mean, I was able to save it'd be like fifty, a hundred grand out of my day job every year. So I had some cash uh, piled up um, because I knew. I mean, even up to that point, I kind of knew these rental properties were kind of becoming. A, pain and I was searching for the next thing, right? I didn't know if that was a 20, 30, 40 unit, right? That was the logical progression. But when you're, un like I said, when you're under a hundred units, you're getting the worst lending. The banks know you're just mom and pop, sophisticated investors. Mm -hmm. You're competing with everybody else. I mean, it's, the pricing is horrible. Not until you get above 60, hundred units plus, you kind of the pricing get a little bit better. Right? It's no man's land in that arena. And it took me a while to kind of figure that out um, you know, by banging my head against the wall, obviously, by looking at deals. Um, so I, I kind of went down the path of being a passive LP partner. And then, um, yeah, the, I mean, I just had money. I mean, like, look, if, if you don't have money, this ain't for you guys, right? <laughs> like, go buy a rental property, build up your asset category so you can, in turn, build up your, your passive cash flow category, so you you also were sitting on cash just from your job, but did you um, did you refinance anything, pull some money out, and then be able to leverage that as well into your bigger deals to be able to obviously elevate to that to that next level, if you will? And I, I I'm sold in in 2018. I sold most of those stupid rental properties. Did you? Um, okay. Yeah. And, and I what was your thought process behind that? I mean, the the return on investment is just way stronger. I mean, when you're buying rental properties, especially when you're not doing value add. Right, like a lot of the kids on, on TV do, um, you know, you're just buying like a little rowboat, right? Just slushes in the ocean. I mean, it's still a lot better than what you're getting in mutual fund stocks and all that type of stuff. Um, returns on that stuff to me are like 20, 30%. Um, you know, when you include the cash flow, mortgage pay down from your tenant, the tax benefits, and then a little bit of appreciation and luck in there too. Mm -hmm. Uh, people don't believe they can go to my website. I do a, like a little whiteboard video on this at simplepassivecashflow.com slash returns. But when I figured out the syndication stuff, it's like a cruise ship because it's a bigger asset review. The investors don't do anything. You're working with pros who are kind of running your investment for you and they've got skin in the game. And the, the concept between the little rowboat without an oar is where it's just slushing, sloshing, doing nothing, going up and down with, you know, the market is that the cruise ship has a motor and the, that motor in this indication is that there's some kind of value add strategy. Most times we'll go in, we'll buy a stabilized assets. That's that means cash flowing day one, but we won't buy it unless there's some ability to bump the rents up. So we'll usually put maybe four to $6,000 into every unit, which isn't hardly anything, right? From house flipper land, house flipper land, you're talking about housing scopes of 50, $200,000 plus. No, not in apartments where we can turn them and burn them. We, we do it on a huge scale, right? We get great economies of scale. That's four to six grand, does new flooring, new appliances, new paint job. But we won't really get into big stuff like knocking down cabinets and all that like nonsense, right? We're just trying to put a little lipstick on the pig to bump the rents up maybe 10, 20%. But, okay. but in commercial real estate, 
if anybody has you know kind of done any research on this but if you increase the net operating income that has a direct impact to the bottom line and it's magic right you increase the net operating income of a property by 100 grand you effectively created two million dollars of wow. value right there out of thin air on a five cap Gracious, gracious. Okay, so, so you obviously went from the eleven unit. You obviously sold some of that in two thousand eighteen. Then went into more of the syndication. And so, tell me a little bit more about you know syndication and some of our audience. You know, obviously, you you can find some uh, good strategic partnerships. But I mean, how do you find that syndication? How do you find those right companies, those right investors? Is it just networking? Is that really what it comes down to, or is it, hey, you know what? Let's let's go to a specific you know um, specific mastermind or someone that that uh, has that has that ability, like like yourself, that obviously have the that uh, established network. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of it is like a pay to play, right? You got to get yourself into the right room. Um, you know, and anybody can do a syndication, right? You just do a stupid podcast and you write a fake book and you write a blog and you, know, and you can put together a webinar, you just go on Fiverr and, you know, like have somebody make a pitch deck for you, do a little webinar and Zoom. I mean, anybody can do it, right? So it's really, and it's really hard to determine well, who's a who's been around a while? Who's well, a larger? That's that's my question, really. Is how do you find the best of the best, right? Not not some little peon that's just trying it out, like oh, I'm 22 years old and I've done the. How do you find the right people that say, hey, I, when I give you a you know a four hundred thousand dollar check, hey, I know I'm going to get that return on investment. They've they've done it, they've produced it, just like yourself. You've obviously been there, done that. So what what, what yeah, would you recommend? Your your network is your net worth, right? Like you only go off of referrals from people that you know, like, and trust that they've worked, they've dropped 150 grand with. Um, and like crowdfunding websites, if you're unable to network and play nice with others, crowdfunding websites is a way of going there. But again, the crowdfunding websites paying a middleman, right? There, people are going to them. I mean, crowdfunding websites will charge them an arm and a leg. We've looked at them for raising capital for us, but we don't want, I don't want to pay that ridiculous mm -hmm. commission to them. Whereas we already have, a group of investors that kind of trust us and have been in past deals with us. Um, a lot of it is just like, you got to know other pure passive accredited investors. And I didn't never grew up in that type of community, right? None of my friends were yeah. rich, um, but you know, it's, it's all kind of who you hang out with. Like the local RIA real estate clubs, free online forms are some of the worst places to hang out. Mm -hmm. And then on the so other really, end, right? Like you really what you're saying club, is that, is that they should come to simplepassivecashflow.com and, and and talk to you guys? Is that basically yeah, what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> essentially yes. But you know, you gotta yeah. you gotta go look for other high net worth people that also do this type of stuff, right? And mm -hmm. this is what makes it extremely difficult, right? You're trying to find somebody who most passive investors they want to be very private. Uh, they don't want to get sued, right? They don't want to wave a flag in the air that I'm hey, I'm rich, come sue me. It's very hard to find you know, real pure passive investors. To me, mm -hmm. you know, ev everybody's got a website. Everybody's got like these marketing schemes. It's, I'm in this business. It's hard to tell and when I'm trying to invest my passive investor money, like who's legit, right? Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, 100%. And so that's why I really appreciate kind of perspective. And that's my question is like, you know, there's so many people that have a good game that makes it look, you know, look all pretty and stuff like that. Everybody can do that, uh, you know, have fake testimonials or whatever. But the thing is, is how do you find the right people that actually been there, done that? And like you said, I mean, they're not, they're not out there, you know, pushing their name a lot of times. They're, they're people that are just 
putting putting their nose to work and just kicking butt. Uh, and obviously, that's somewhat what is what you're doing. You're you're going out there producing those results. So you know, if if some of our audience, you guys are listening, you guys have that extra 300, 400, you know, even 150 G's sitting, I would recommend reaching out to uh, Elaine here, and he'll probably be able to you know hook you up. Now, my, also my question is is coming back to the deal that went that allowed you to get to that higher level. What what kind of deal were you looking at uh, that you were able to? And was that yourself that just came in or, or did you have some partners that came in to help you with that? Because obviously you, in 2015, you sold that all those 11 units and you took some of that cash flow with the other cash flow that you had. And did you get into one or two, uh, you know, 40, 60, 100, 150 units or what, what, what did that look like? What, what did that deal look like? Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, I mean, it took us a long time to get established. Um, the hardest thing is investors, you just get such garbage from brokers in the beginning, right? Because they think you're just another like couple of rich dudes from Apple or something out in California, right? An out-of-state buyer. So you just get thrown a lot of junk your way. And you know, it usually takes a couple years for people to kind of break through that if they're lucky. Um, so, you know, we've in the beginning, we bought a lot of like class C properties that were like 50 units type of range. Um, we, we, we did the business plan to that. We sold them because they're kind of a pain in the butt to manage. We've kind of been swimming upstream, getting our class B assets. How so? Areas. How so? Was it because of the tenant structure or is it just because just the area or like what, what caused um, the pain? It's the tenants, right? Because when you're mm -hmm. kind of in that realm, I mean, class, for people who have never owned class C rental properties, I mean, it was a culture shock to me. I mean, you're talking about like, $50,000, type of properties right out in the Midwest and South, if you guys have ever been out there. I mean, I've, most of my clients and myself, like we're Californians, West Coast people, Hawaii, right? We're used to houses costing 500 grand, so that's a shack, right? Most people in this country are living in $100,000 properties as rentals. Um, and a lot of people in the Class C realm, they may or may not have bank accounts, right? Like when I had my rental properties, right. I remember the ones I had in Birmingham. I mean, a couple of them were like Section 8. Like oh wow, most of them paid via like Walmart money orders. I was like, what the heck, right? Like I didn't know Walmart, you could get money orders at. Apparently it's a great place to get money orders because it's cheaper there, you know? Well, that's I appreciate you saying that because what I always found very interesting is, uh, you know, you could look at the numbers and say, okay, the numbers really work very well. I mean, we were just looking at a at a fifty unit over here uh, where where I live, and it just looks beautiful. It's awesome, but then when you get to the location, you just start realizing pretty quickly the caliber as well, and the headaches and the things like that. So even though the property may look good, it's it's those other extra headaches and those things that are uh, intangibles that you don't see sometimes on the on the budget sheet. So I'm curious as well. So you went from there, you you bought the fifty sixty units, then you uh, obviously sold those and now you're getting into you identified your niche if you will uh you know 100 to 400 units and things like that and um what was that next deal uh that that allowed you to get into that higher end and started you know working with b and uh, really b product uh, b b properties dude i don't remember i mean there's just we have, <laughs> we have like over 30 something deals i think it was just i mean if i recall we were doing like these 50 to 80 unit properties for about a year and then I oh, think wow. maybe the first one might have been like 120 or 150. And then, and then at that point, that's where, you know, that was maybe like the dozen deal mark in. And that's where we really started to get, you know, brokers, they, the biggest thing for brokers, brokers control deals, especially stabilized assets. Like, remember, we're not going after garbage properties that are less than 90% occupied. So brokers control these assets. 
you know, you're not going to send a yellow letter to some apartment owner. Hey, can, you, can I buy your property for 50 cents a month? No, they're not idiots, right? They're not like yeah. little run, like single family homeowners who don't know how to read that, which I believe wholesaling is, I think it's, I don't feel like it's very like ethical in my opinion, but I'll get off of that. Right. Like in our world, apartment owners are pretty sophisticated. They go to brokers to fetch the right price. But, you know, 99% of deals will pass on because just the pricing doesn't work. We're looking for that situation where the owner is a little bit distressed. They're either old, they're dying, they're retiring. Um, there's something in there. They want to re-diversify their portfolio or, or consolidate elsewhere. Um, but the property is fine, right? The property is yeah. great. We're distressed owner, not distressed asset. So in these cases, brokers control assets. So it's important for us to have a good track record of being good guys to work with, not retrading, closing when we say we are. And at that point, you know, once we had closed several properties and we're kind of we're in the market talking and actually talking to these brokers in terms of, hey, you're the guys with that 50 unit out there. You want to sell your property? Like, well, no, we just bought it recently. We're still doing the mm -hmm. business plan, but what else do you got to buy, right? Like, because yeah. it's a quid pro quo thing. I mean, it's all commission based. Let me make a make, let me make friends with these guys so we can eventually sell their property, make the commission on that, and let me give them the deals to buy. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of and that, that's the hardest thing is to break in into this business doing that stuff. And then we we eventually kind of stepped up to spam upstream to those larger assets. Um, today we're doing even a little bit of development too because you know we yeah. try and get away from like where you know the majority of like the amateurs are kind of hanging out yeah yeah definitely cream of the crop if you will and so tell me a little bit you know kind of because obviously getting up to that higher level okay you're not going i, I would imagine you're not going to loop loopnet.com and, and, and realtor.com and you know find no, those big deals. I mean, loopnet you're, is you're... we laugh because it's like the, <laughs> where deals go to die that's when it's been out there for a few months just want to you just want to find um garbage deals to laugh at but then again you know you find the hungry the newer hungrier brokers and sometimes yeah. they can find good deals but most times it goes to the guys with teams under them like the established mm -hmm. brokers so now though tell me like obviously majority of your your deals obviously just come from the network that you've built can, correct i mean just from people you've talked to hey you know what this guy's you know 80 years old he's you know looking to sell his 150 unit okay hey you know let's take a look at it you know and have that conversation before it even jumps on uh, the website and so forth right uh, that's that's basically kind of it's just for through warm referrals is is that kind of is that what i'm hearing well that's the broker's job in, in commercial real estate the brokers actually do their job i don't know what the hell they do in residential real estate but the brokers are the ones taking flowers to grandma Right. Well, I'm these asking... guys again and again. They're the ones yeah. that control the deal. So we we need to get in good graces with the brokers so that they feed us those said deals. So, correct, because sometimes the brokers don't even put them on the website. It's it's that they just have them, and so you just already have those relationships with the the brokers. Is that that's basically that's, what the situation? That's is. correct. Like an off market okay. type of or preemptive yeah. offer. I mean, they their biggest concern is. Is this deal going to close? They don't care for whether it sells right. for 45 million instead of 30 or 51 million. Mm -hmm. Makes no difference to them. What they want is assurance to close. So yeah. that when they know, like, you know, we've closed deals in the past, we're easy to work with, they want us in there and as opposed to the other guy. And even the buyers, right? The buyers want assurance to close, right? Mm -hmm. They want to see your balance sheet, they want to see your sponsor, your sponsor roster, they want to see the track record. Are these guys just a bunch of jokers from California? 
or these guys in the market already buying? Have they proven to close already? Have, especially the bank financing, have these guys, are they approved with the bank? Have they, where are they gonna get their capital source? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Awesome, man. Well, let's just jump back because I really appreciate you sharing that because, I mean, again, uh, the, the biggest thing that I want to really, you know, kind of footstop in that and what you just said is just building a network, right? Uh, or working with someone that's already been there, done that, like yourself, Lane. Uh, it's like, okay, well, shoot, instead of having me do all the the crap for the, you know, two, four, five, ten years, whatever it, it took you uh, to accomplish what you've been able to establish, be able to leverage someone else's credibility like yourself that's already doing it. Now, my question, though, is during that time, Okay. Obviously, it's not just roses and, and petals down the down the little you know uh, uh, golden golden row, right? It's it's ups and downs. So I'm curious, was there a point, Lane, where you thought you were going to go belly up, or was there a point where you're like, okay, this this is just not going to work. There's something's going to fall through, or um, you know, in any time during that situation, or was it just a golden golden road going to you know uh, the, the golden goose? Uh, you're not gonna like this, but I mean, it's I mean, shit. We we invest on cash flow. We don't invest off appreciation. We don't gamble. We go into assets that are stabilized. Like it's kind of smooth sailing for the most part. Um, I mean, the only thing is like a couple times I've worked with a a bad partner, and <laughs> that just sucks. I've had to kind of. I mean, that's just you lose your money. I mean, that's how this business works. It's. The, the times where you're going to lose money is when you work with unethical people and you just don't work with them again. And this is why it's so much more important to build your network. I mean, I'm kind of at the forefront. I'm kind of working with different people all the time. Lately, I've been kind of working with the same proven people in the past. But, you know, that's kind of why I do what I do. I'm kind of the, the forerunner. I'm kind mm -hmm. of out there, you know, taking chances so that other people can kind of, you know, ride along on this once once the the concept has been proven right mm -hmm. um and you know that's that it's going to happen but if you're a passive investor you kind of just you know ride alongside people who've already made the mistakes already and uh, mm -hmm. jump in on version 2.0 version 3.0 in a way but yeah i mean that that's happened to me in the past and it's very frustrating and i i what i do is like every time i've made that mistake i can always contribute back to like I did not work with somebody who I was able to really verify their track record, meaning I didn't have this gold level standard of referral. I didn't have somebody that I already knew and trusted say, yeah, man, I've worked this guy in the past. I vouch for him. Right? It's always been kind of a loosey goosey type of scenario. First time I just got like a random referral off of some like self-directed IRA custodian that didn't know what the hell they were doing. They didn't even invest with it. And he said, oh yeah, we'll work with this guy. You know, that was back in like 2011-ish. I didn't know anything back then. Um, and then the next time, like I, you know, somebody who did a bunch of real estate, but maybe not in the realm that we're working in, right? And mm -hmm. I didn't have anybody like that third party uh, referral, right? That's the gold standard. But when you start out, you're not going to have that. I mean, like I said, you got to play the long game. You got to build pure passive investors, mm -hmm build friendships and organic relations with that because these are the people who put skin in the game to figure out who's legit out there and you've got to build this web. And that's why we created the mastermind group with this community. And, you know, like you say, well, we'll talk. I, I like to talk to people, but I tell people on our onboarding calls all day. It's like, look, man, whatever I am, I'm a syndicator. Whatever I say, take it with a grain of salt. In fact, don't even listen to what I'm saying. Don't trust me, but go and verify everything I'm saying. I'm just telling you what you want to hear. I'm kind of the salesman here. Um, in fact, 
but go, what you want to do is go build, go hang out at our community events, right? Go talk to the other passive investors, right? Surely I can't like pay them all off, right? Well, I do. <laughs> we pay them returns, right? Every quarter. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the way you're supposed to do it. And it's, sorry, it's, it's a little bit more of a headache, but if I, you know, if you don't want to put any effort in, well, go invest in the stock market and mutual funds and all that type of nonsense. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. And I really appreciate you sharing that because I think that's that's very interesting what you just mentioned because see, you, you don't hear that in the mainstream, right? It's, it's very unorthodox of what you just mentioned uh, because, you know, you're just being straightforward and straight honest and saying, hey, you know what, this is kind of what this is the situation. So my question as well is like, obviously, you've been doing this for quite a, quite a few years. So what does that future look like? I mean, are you looking to get 6,000 units, obviously where you're at now? Are you looking for, you know, doubling that in the next few a few years? Are you going to kind of sit on your hands uh, until you obviously say, hey, you know what, there's some better deals in the, in the near future? I'm just curious, what, what does that look like? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think from an operation standpoint, business standpoint, I'm just going to keep up picking up rental properties, apartments, that cash flow day one and with a little bit of value add and keep Go roll in on that business plan that that I think it's the best risk suggested uh, kind of business out there. I mean, if there's a recession, well, the A class luxury stuff moved moves to our stuff, and we stop rehabs and we just cash flow. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. Um, I mean, as terms of like what else other than just keep doing what we're doing. I mean, I, I feel like my thing in this world is kind of to help people get educated and at least reverse the brainwashing that we've like myself and a lot of people have, you know, gotten from our parents, coworkers, mm -hmm. family. Um, you know, that's why we have like, I still kind of the podcast, the website, a lot of it is like geared towards people buying rental properties, getting started. A lot of it's for free. Um, people want to get the, the free remote investor e-course. They can text the word remote to 314-665-1767. I mean, it's just all just to get started, right? Get out of that main street, that Wall Street kind of dogma investments. Definitely, definitely. Because see, what I found very interesting is, Lane, you know, even though you said it, there wasn't, it wasn't this massive ups and downs and, you know, turmoil while you're building your business. Uh, to me, it seems like you just focused on the things that produce results and you've said, okay, well, you know, be disciplined, right? Uh, you're not going to go after that $10 million unit or whatever, because the numbers just don't work, but you're going to go after the $3 million unit because, Hey, the numbers work, right? Whatever it may be. And uh, just being disciplined with it. I found that very interesting. What you're just saying is if you focus on your rules, your, your whatever you, you have to say, Hey, this is producing these, these you know, 1%, uh, obviously looking at the hundred to 400 unit. I just think that's very interesting because what I found in, in success in life in general is like, Hey, you got to make Make sure you have certain regulations that allow you to say, okay, these are my boundaries. And if, if, uh, if this is a good opportunity, then fantastic. If it aligns with it, if, but if it doesn't align with any one of those, I'm, I'm passing by on the, on the deal and the opportunity. And it's, uh, it's tough, but obviously I would imagine there, there's probably hundreds of hundreds of deals that probably come through your, your, your door, but you don't accept, or you don't get, uh, get all excited by each one, do you? Um, uh, it, so I'm telling kind of the analogy is kind of like, you know, you know what your pitch is in baseball, right? You, you know, you, there's some lucky strikes, but you just don't swing at it. You know, which one you can like jack to left field, you know, you pull that one. Um, in terms of like what it looks like for us, I mean, you know, like secondary tertiary markets in growing population sub markets that cash flow day one with a little bit of value add. Um, I mean, you know, like people always ask like, well, aren't you afraid of a crash or recession? It's like, well, 
Not really. I mean, the people who got hurt in, in, a, in 2008, which was by way of a real estate correction, right? Most recessions are, are, don't really get impact too much in real estate. 2008 was the anomaly, and that's why it was mm-hmm. so big. But the people who got hurt in that scenario were the people investing for appreciation, right? Was it the big, big short strippers, the taxi cab drivers who those assets did not cash flow, right? And that's why I tell everybody like, hey, what we do is very different, right? We're cash flow guys. Go, I mean, people can go download my free analyzer and, and go look through the, you know, your expenses, your maintenance, repairs, cap X, right? You start to learn the numbers and you start to realize, well, even in bad times, I all right, let's play around with the numbers. Let's drop the rents 50, 100 bucks. Let's keep the expenses. Like maybe we get hit on this expense, that expense. And you see how really robust each, even one single family home rental. Um, so I implore people, yeah, go download my free analyzer, simplepassivecashflow.com slash analyzer and play with around the numbers yourself, right? Like this is a different game. We're not house flippers here, right? That's for broke guys who need to go gamble and roll their money. Right. We already have money, right? We have good paying day jobs or successful businesses, but we just need a place to store it, to grow it a little bit incrementally, prudently with cash flow um, and get the tax benefits too. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much, Lane. I really appreciate your time and obviously being able to, you know, uh, talk to our audience that are a little bit intellectual in, in these conversations. Obviously, you know, not just talk about beginner and how to start and you know be motivated, just take action. You know, it's it's diving into okay, a little bit more details on this uh, and obviously the the benefits of it and being able to actually tell your story as well. So I really appreciate your time, Lane. Thanks so much. Now let me ask you, where can obviously they can uh, reach out to you? SimplePassiveCashflow.com, uh, and then I would imagine probably. Uh, um, your name any, anywhere on social media? Explain a little bit about our audience, how they can reach out to you, Lane. Yeah, I mean, they can probably Google Simple Passive Cashflow. Pops, the website pops right up. Uh, the, the URL is simplepassivecashflow.com. A lot of free stuff for accredited investors and you know people just getting started with rental properties. If you're in credit card debt and you know these types of people, you know, we're not the tribe for you. I mean, I, I'm very against these, you know, these, these gurus that like teach people all this nonsense about wholesaling and flipping and then they charge them all this money. They don't have money to begin with. Um, I mean, that's why everything's kind of free on the website and the podcast will pass a cash flow. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much, man. Again, I really appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, again, my audience, that link is actually down here in the, in the description below. You can take a look at that. Uh, but other than that, Lane, thanks so much again. Thanks, Christian. See you, everybody. Bye.